For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of, to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you once again for these words uh, from the apostle uh, Paul, ultimately from the Holy Spirit through Paul to your people, not only in Ephesus at that time, but also for us today. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us as you did through this letter, and that we would understand and appreciate the mystery that was revealed through the apostles and prophets to the Gentiles, to us, that unsearchable riches of Christ. We pray that you'd strengthen our hearts, as he says, so that we would not lose heart in the midst of the challenges and trials and struggles and battles that we are facing. Enable us, O oh Lord, to rejoice uh, and to, uh, as it said, what we just sang, uh, that truly through our lives, through our words and through our lives, though they may see you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, so we began this uh, sermon last week, and the title of the sermon is Captured by Grace. And if you remember last week, we asked the question of, uh, uh, have you been or are you captured? Uh, right now in Israel uh, and in uh, Gaza, there are many uh, hostages that have been captured by um, Hamas, and um, many are being executed or are dying as Israel is attacking now northern Gaza and attempting to re rescue these that are captured, but 
Um, we don't know exactly how well they'll do. But have you ever considered yourself captured or a captive? Well, again, what did we say in, in Adam? We all were. We're in the kingdom of darkness. That's the state of all mankind. All those people there, they're not believers in Jesus Christ, whether they're Israeli or whether they're Palestinian, whatever. Apart from Christ, they are captured by Satan. They're in the kingdom of darkness. Are you? Are you an enemy of God? That's a hard thing to ask. What do you mean? I'm not at war with God. Well, if you're not in Christ, you are. At least that's what the Bible teaches. Paul has been going through and talking about what it was like to be uh, uh, outside of Christ. We, he talks about in chapter 2 being dead in trespasses and sins. He talks about being aliens of the commonwealth of Israel without Christ, without God, and so on. But he then says, God's grace. And so uh, what we looked at last week, uh, the first point in the outline, did you, do you know the hope of God's calling? We focused in on verse 1, in particular, Paul's calling, and his calling is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. But he looked at it as positive. I'm a prisoner for you. And at the very end, if you notice, is, uh, uh, verse 13, he says, uh, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation as a prisoner, because it's for you, which is your glory. Rejoice in my chains, because I do. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And God is using this prison to bring the gospel to people that I wouldn't be able to reach. He says in another letter, the household of Caesar is hearing the gospel. Can you imagine being chained next to Paul as he's preaching and sharing the gospel with people as a guard, a Roman soldier that has to be chained to him? He hears the gospel. He's stuck there. Um, it says that many came to faith through that prisoner situation. That's where Paul is right now. He's in prison. But yet, what does he do? He looks and he sees he has a heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances. And that's the point. He glories that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Do you? Do you have that same kind of perspective? Do you have a heavenly perspective on whatever it is you're going through? Woe is me, I'm under the circumstances. Is that a temptation we all have when things go wrong? But yeah, Paul, he has a heavenly perspective. Praise God. This circumstance, these things that I'm dealing with, which are life and death threat. He's a prisoner facing execution, and yet he rejoices because he knows who he is. I belong to Jesus Christ. And not only that, he also talks about that he's a manager or a steward of the mysteries of Christ. The mystery, well, I think he actually explains to us, he says, he's already been talking about it there in verse 6, he says, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So the, the mystery that in particular is focusing is that God is going to save Jew and Gentile. Now, was it completely a mystery? Or was there passages in the Old Testament that talk about the Gentiles coming in? I read some of those earlier in our devotion before we started the worship service. Isaiah chapter 60, 61, 62, especially 61 Speak of Gentiles coming to faith. But it was still mystery. 
because the thinking was, well, yeah, those Gentiles will become Jews in order to be saved. But this was something unique. Chapter 2 in particular, he talks again about through Jesus Christ, he makes peace and he brings Jew and Gentile together as one. That's the mystery that he is responsible to communicate. He is an apostle to the Gentiles. He is a servant or minister of grace by grace. Did you catch that one statement as we read? Verse 7, of which I became a minister, a servant, a deacon, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me. Did you catch that three times? I'll read it again. The gift, grace, of the grace of God, grace, given to me, grace. And then he goes on in verse 8, to me, who am the least who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace, there's number four, was given, number five. So what do we say this, this letter is? It's a letter of grace, right? Here Paul says his identity is the grace of God. Is it yours? Do you live to declare, to thank God? For his grace. Is that why we have the name of the church, Grace Reformed Church? Well, one of the reasons. So my question is, what's your identity? Is your identity found in Christ or in yourself? That's really what it boils down to, right? Who am I? Am I in Christ or am I in Adam? In myself. I live for self. Every man does apart from Christ. Every woman does apart from Christ. Who's your, what's your identity? Who are you? Where do your eyes focus? Second point, moving on. Do you know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I don't know about you, but I, when I read verse 8 and I read that first part, doesn't that strike you? Uh, I am less than the least. What is that? How would you describe that? I am less than the least saint. The lowest saint, the weakest member in the church, I'm less than them. Is that humility? Is it because of the grace of God, and Paul knows that it's only by grace that he's saved, it's only by grace that he perseveres, it's only by the grace of God, God's personal active involvement in his life, he would go, there but for the grace of God, go I. Did he understand this? If he's preaching grace, did he understand that he needs grace, that he is a recipient of grace? That's his identity? Yeah, and so what does he do? He says, I'm less than the least in myself. Right? And he goes on in other places to explain why. He persecuted the church. He tried to destroy the church when it was a baby, a little baby, weak and helpless, kind of like what's happening with Hamas, killing babies. Paul was out there trying to kill the church. And yet God was gracious to him. God saved him. He 
humbles himself here as well. Grace is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. As Jesus said, without me you can do nada. Okay, nothing, right? Whatever you do apart from Christ is nothing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Can an unbeliever please God? Someone apart from Christ, can they please God? Not according to the scriptures? Without faith, it is impossible, impossible to do anything pleasing to God. Because it's the kisses of an enemy at best. Though Paul is an apostle and a preacher sent by God, yet he understands so well. Without Christ, I can do nothing. Without faith, it is impossible to praise God. He reminds himself from what he was delivered. One of the, one of the things that strikes me when I, struck me when I was graduating from seminary years ago was, well, I was afraid. I was scared when I came out of seminary. And you know why I was, I think I've shared this before. Why was I scared leaving seminary? Because I don't know anything. The thing that I've learned was the more I learned about the Bible, the more I learned that there's so much more that I don't know about the Bible, and you're going to expect me to know it all. You're going to come to me and ask questions, and I've never thought that before. The more you learn, the more you learn how much you don't know. That's what Paul is saying here, too. He's been given much, but in the process, he's realized there's so much more that I don't know. So that grace actually humbled him. And that grace humbles us as well. Notice the word he uses. The unsearchable riches of Christ. What does he say? I can't, I can't get my arms around it. I can't get it all. I can't search and find them. The riches of Christ is so great, I can't comprehend. Here is Rabbi Paul. Here is a fellow that has at least two PhDs in Bible, if you will, in his training. Yet he says the riches of Christ are beyond him. And yet we learn more about Christ from his writings, and yet he himself humbles himself. What are these unsearchable, past finding out riches of Christ? What are the, what are the, what is Paul saying? Well, number one, he talks about that Jesus is God. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's God. He doesn't change. Can we search out that fullness of the guy? Do you understand that? God became man. God, the spirit became man. The infinite, eternal, unchangeable God took on flesh, finite, changeable. How does that, how does that, can you reconcile that? Can you explain that? Please explain it to me. Can you explain it to me? How God became man? 
It's unsearchable. We can't. We understand it. We believe it's true. But can I, can you t totally comprehend that? No. Will we ever totally comprehend that? I don't think so. What about the glories and perfections of Christ? Can you imagine again? What is it? What would it be like to be the God Man walking around, being raised by sinful parents, among sinful? siblings, among sinful neighbors and friends, everything, and what, they're, what they do is a grief to your heavenly Father, to your Father, to you, the Holy God. Can you comprehend the perfections of Christ that he fulfilled, all righteousness? He was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. He never, he never sinned. I don't know about you, I is that comprehend? Can you comprehend that perfections and the glories of Christ? No. What about the fullness of grace? Comprehend grace? How are you doing? Do you understand the grace of God? I think we mis misthink, misapprehend it. The riches of Christ, that which he possesses himself and that which he gives to us. Do we understand and comprehend what we have in Christ, the riches? You know you're rich? Somebody recently won $1.3 billion in the lottery. You heard about that? You know that you're richer than them? Do you understand that? In Christ? I have eternal life. What good is it to win $1.3 billion if you're apart from Christ? What is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Who can you give the price? You have eternal life. It's more precious than anything else. How do you know? What is the value of something? What you're willing to pay for it, right? What, would, what did Jesus pay for your redemption? His blood, his life, he laid on his life for you, for your redemption. Is your life precious in his sight? It's the most precious thing. That which he gives. That's what Paul is glorying in here, the riches of Christ. It was a mystery, yes. What, that, that you and I, Gentiles, would be fellow heirs with the Old Testament people of God and partakers of the promise of Christ. Remember we talked about earlier, how, is, how important is the promises of God in your assurance that you were saved? It's the basis. Is that rich? Is that your riches? The answer is yes. So what are some of these riches? What are the benefits of the covenant of grace? Well, how about effectual calling? What did we do? What was the first thing that happened in the worship service this morning as God called you here? Right? The call to worship. But what about the call to salvation? Does the, does the gospel go out throughout the world? Did the gospel come to you? Was that call effective? Well, you're here, that's a good evidence of it. Regeneration, being born again, effectual calling, 
Is that one of the riches of Christ, that he takes dead people and brings them to life again? Is that a, is that a riches? Is that a blessing? Well, if you don't have that riches, if you don't have that blessing, what are you? You're still dead. You're still an alien. You're still separated. You're still without God, without Christ. So regeneration, the work of the Spirit of God, applying the work of Christ to our lives, and we are born again, isn't that the greatest riches of all? Better than in anything. What about the knowledge of the truth? The promise. Again, our faith is based on it. Without it, we don't have faith. We're not saved. Are you thankful? That's kind of where we're driving. What about justification by faith alone? Do you rejoice in that? What, is, what did Martin Luther say? It's the foundation. What, is, what did uh, Calvin say? It's the hinge upon which the door of religion spins, moves. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Is that a rich? Riches. Is that precious to you? I am, I am just as if I never sinned. I am righteous in Christ before God in an era of eternal life. Is that a value to you? What about adoption? Again, I can go to God, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, and say, Father, our Father, my Father, adopted by him. What about church membership? Huh? Inclusion in the body of Christ, is that important? Is that a riches? I belong to Jesus and his people. Does Jesus love his church? Does he wash her? Did he redeem her? Does he care for her? Does he love the church like the bridegroom loves the bride? And the answer is yes. I, and I am included in that. Heidelberg Catechism, question number 55, speaking of the church, says it this way. Actually, 54. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church that out of the whole human race, from the beginning to the end of the world, the Son of God, by his Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself unto everlasting life, a chosen communion, in the unity of the true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member of this communion. Notice the focus. The Son of God, by his Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, preserves for himself unto everlasting life. Is that a riches? Is that rich? Is that a benefit? That Jesus gathers together his people, his communion, his church. He defends her from all attacks, and he preserves her for himself. And that I am and forever shall remain a living member of this community. Isn't that assurance? Isn't that perseverance? Isn't that something to thank God for? What about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? It says that Jesus sent the Spirit. He would go to heaven so he could send the Holy Spirit who dwells with us and puts up with us and takes care of us and convicts us and cares for us, personally lives with us, indwells us. Is that riches given to us in Christ, that we have God walking with us? 
as we go to school, as we go to work, as we're at home, wherever we are, the Spirit of God is dwelling with us, and he is preserving us, and he's taking care of us, the riches of God. What about sanctification, the work of the Spirit? What about glorification? These are just a few of the many, the many riches, as Paul says there. We can't comprehend them all. My question to you is, how does this knowledge affect you? My hope and prayer is that it overwhelms you. I'm overwhelmed by it. Hodge, in his commentary, says it this way. Wherefore, because we have this access to God, the sum of all good, we ought to rise above all the afflictions of this life and maintain a joyful spirit, since they are the objects of such a redemption and have this freedom of access to God, believers ought not to be discouraged by all the apparently adverse circumstances attending the propagation of the gospel. And uh, he could go on. In other words, does this overwhelm you? If you stop and start to think about what I have in Christ, should it cause joy? Wow. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I, what does it say in Isaiah? The redeemed of the Lord shall come with singing into Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. We should, is, that, is that your response? Or is your response is, oh, I'm bored. Pastor, when are you going to be finished? My concern is that this has no effect on you at all. Here are the riches of God in Christ. So what? No big deal. I already know this stuff. I've read the Bible. I don't need to read it again. Have you ever heard anyone say that? I've heard someone say that. Oh, I've read through the Bible. Well, why don't you read it again? I've already read it. I don't need it to read it again. No. Is this important to you? It's more important than the internet. Your job, your family, your life. Oh, pastor, is that most dangerous? What did Jesus say? I'd rather you be hot or cold. Hot is good, and I think in the context, cold is good. But if you're lukewarm, what does Jesus say? He's speaking to whom? The church. And he's saying, I will vomit you. Spit you out. Where are you? Hot, cold, lukewarm concerning these things. Repent. Repent. Turn away from that lukewarmness. I don't care. I don't know. I don't see anything of value. My heart prayer for you is this is more important than life, what Christ has given me. My third point. Do you know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? That resurrection power. Again, he says the reason that he is saying these things in verse 13, therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Do not lose heart. The afflictions of life, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
Why should I not lose heart? Because God has a purpose, and that purpose is being carried out in my life. Why is there warfare in Israel? Why is there warfare in life? Is God working his purposes in both? Is he sovereign? Is Jesus on the throne? And what's he doing there? Some people say he's just waiting around for the Father to say, sick him. I shouldn't say it that way. Go. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is he just kind of waiting up there and just kind of observing? He's reigning. Does that mean that his will is being accomplished on earth as is in heaven right now? We don't understand a lot of why things are happening, but we know that God is in control, that Jesus reigns. Jesus is Lord. We confess that. Do not lose heart. Could Paul be in that position? Here he is in prison and possibly in Rome, and he's facing execution, and it seems like everything has failed, and he writes in Philippians that there are people that are there that are going out and preaching the gospel so he could get killed. There are, there are people that are backstabbing him. He's, been, he's there for the gospel. So let's just read that. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. This is in Rome. This is among, um, this we're talking about Caesar. It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Hear that? Some people that were preaching the gospel in order to cause trouble for Paul. That's strange to hear. That happened today. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice and will rejoice. What kind of attitude is that? Praise God that someone is trying to get me killed. He's got, these people are out there preaching the gospel so that, I, so that Caesar is going to execute me. You have that kind of thinking? Do I have that kind of thinking? Thank you, Lord. I, I embrace the persecution, the hatred of, of you applied to me. Is that, that's not normal, is it? That's a work of grace, isn't it? He says, do not lose heart. God is working these things together for good. So what is our calling? Verse 10 of our text. What is our calling? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. One author refers to that. Do you know that the church is the, is the university of the angels? Ever heard that? that the angels in heaven and the demons are, are seeing the manifold wisdom of God being displayed through us. 
Ever thought about it that way? When we get to heaven and we sing as the redeemed of the Lord, can the angels join us? Are they redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? No, they never sinned, never fell. They, didn't, they don't have redemption. When the church opens her mouth and sings the praises of God, the angels will stand in silence and learn. When we worship God here, the angels and the demons are learning about the grace of God. In your life, as Christ is working, as the Spirit is working, the angels, the principalities and powers in heavenly places are observing, are being educated through the church. Ever thought of life that way? As Paul is saying here, that's our calling. To make known the manifold wisdom of God to heaven and earth. We are the university of the angels. How is that made known? Number one, by our lives. It's God's power manifested in our lives. When you love somebody else with the love of Christ, they're seeing it. Through our words. Through our heart. Through life and death. In the power of Christ. So in conclusion, what is your identity? Is it like Paul? Are you a prisoner of Jesus Christ? Are you a free man or a free woman from the world, the flesh, and the devil, but yet captured by grace? My prayer for you is, the answer is yes. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we do come before you, and we thank you that your wisdom has been revealed to us through the gospel, and your wisdom is being revealed to all of heaven and earth through the church, through the redeemed of the Lord. And so we pray that you would enable us by word and by life to be instruments of the revelation of the unsearchable riches of Christ that was once hidden but is now revealed. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.